following is a gospel recording from the Church of Christ. There may be concepts and terms that are difficult to understand. Please visit us to learn more. This evening, for our discussion, we're going to, as has been announced, discuss the revelation of Jesus. As I began to contemplate that particular subject, first of all, when I received the email, that this would be my subject if I so accepted, and I graciously did, of course. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite subjects to study uh, because this subject basically can be recognized from two particular books of which are two of my favorites. We'll notice that in just a moment. But I asked Brother Alvin, the revelation of Jesus, are you talking about his revelation, like the incarnation of Jesus? Or are you talking about the revelated word of Jesus? And he said, yes. I said, okay. <laughs> Basically, that's what he said. And I, that's, that's, that's kind of the way I was thinking anyway, and so that was good because that's the way I prepared it. Had it not been the case that that's not what he had wanted, that's probably what you would have gotten anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> but I want us to begin thinking about the definition of what the word revelation means. And I looked up just, just a moment ago, actually, uh, and I found it very interesting what secular definition uh, was used by some of the uh, ones who, who wrote uh, the English Dictionary. Uh, one is a surprising and previously unknown fact. But when you think about the revelation of Jesus, that can be true. But he goes on to say, especially one that is made known in a dramatic way. And in, in some ways, that's very true. You think about Jesus coming to this earth and the things that he began to do growing up, and we'll notice this more in just a moment also, but growing up from a baby in the neighborhood. His father is the local carpenter. He is a carpenter's son. And, and no doubt he had childhood friends. We, we don't know anything about the childhood of Jesus except when he was 12 years old. And we knew, we know that he was growing as he should. And that most especially was spiritually because he was about his father's business, Luke 2, and I think verse 54. But then we don't hear from Jesus until he gets of age. And actually, we see him being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then he begins to teach. He begins his public ministry. Of course, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan after 40 days. And Luke 4 and verse 17, the Bible says that, uh, or actually in Luke 4 and uh, the beginning few verses of verse 4, uh, we read that, uh, actually in verse 17, that he went everywhere preaching in the villages, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17 rather. But in Luke chapter 4 and verse 17 especially, I want us to notice 
as we, we think about him uh, beginning his public ministry and the way people were thinking about him as he was known, evidently, in verse 17 of Luke 4, the Bible says, There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he began, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, I have an idea at that particular time, because this was just the custom of the Jews in that day and time, uh, they would get up to read. Jesus got up to read, <clears throat> and as normal, they would read from the Old Testament. And so he starts reading, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I doubt at that time they realize what's about to happen. Because think about that. On me, Jesus of Nazareth. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Me, as he's emphasized, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And evidently they realized something. Something different from any time before. Any other occasion when the Old Testament had been read before their eyes. And they could hear with their ears. He closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and he sat down. The eyes of all them that were in the synagogue was, were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now I don't know if it was an occasion like many times when the statement could be made, you could hear a pin drop to the silence. Or I don't know if the people began to rustle in their seats and talk to the person sitting beside them. What is he saying? <clears throat> the beginning of the revelation as far as the word of Christ. But now as far as the revelation of Christ into this world, this began just a little earlier than what we read here. And so, I want us this evening to think about, first of all, from the book of John, as he's beginning to conclude his writing by inspiration, he says this about Jesus. Truly, or many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, notice, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by and that believing you might have life in his name. And so we might ask the question: why revelation? What, what, what's so important about the revelation of Jesus? Well, John pretty much summarized it. We knew that God made a promise many, many years ago concerning the fact that man had sinned. Genesis 3.15. That became somewhat clearer when God made the promise to Abraham that, that it would be through him, his seed, that this would be fulfilled. That the revelation would ultimately come. The incarnation. And then ultimately we read that there was this baby born in Bethlehem. There was no room for him in the inn. And so he was 
in a stable or lying in a manger because of that fact. As far as Revelation is concerned, when, when the average person of the world thinks about Revelation, I think they think about dramatic things <coughs> happening or taking place. But as far as we know from what the Bible teaches, the only dramatic thing that took place then, because the birth of Jesus was natural, just like you and I, the miracle was at the conception. But the angels that were rejoicing. And they were singing praises because of the revelation, the incarnation of Christ. And so this evening we're going to talk about the revelation of of Jesus, And as far as what I want us to, to really think about concerning the passages that we're going to notice together this evening is as we discuss these evidences of Jesus' claim as the Son of God, we want to notice how the revelation that he has made to man, how it had to do with him being God. And so, the revelation of God concerning the evidences of Jesus being God. God in the flesh. Because interestingly enough, as we will analyze, as I mentioned just a moment ago, basically two books of the New Testament. The book of John and the book of Hebrews. Because within these two books, we find all that, that really needs to be understood, although there's many other verses that can be studied and compared and uh, thought about and recognized other than these books, but basically, understanding what John reveals by inspiration and what the writer of the Hebrews uh, epistle uh, is, is writing, we have basically everything we need to know about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we start in the beginning. Notice, if you would, in John, the first chapter, the first 18 verses of this epistle has been recognized by many as being the prologue, the prologue of the book of John. And what that means is it's primarily just a summary of what John is going to describe throughout his writing. As he begins in the beginning, he's different from the other gospel accounts, for he begins with the spiritual aspect, the eternal status of Jesus, whereas the others focus on how he came through Abraham. You see the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. Mark picks up with his baptism, actually, as we mentioned just a moment ago. But noticed in the first place, in chapter 1, in verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, because of what has been written and how we have studied the Bible on many occasions, we understand that uh, immediately that this is talking about the second person of the Godhead, who is Jesus, the Son of God. But if we focus our minds and try to not think about that for just a moment, as we're thinking about the revelation of Jesus as far as his manifestation and his coming to earth. Think about what John is saying in the beginning. He didn't say at the beginning. He didn't say from the beginning. He said in the beginning was the word. 
I've often thought, why did the inspired writer, and I read one commentator and he basically said, why did John use this word? John, by inspiration, used this word. Therefore, the Holy Spirit said, in the beginning was the word. In other words, he, he wanted to explain why John would use this word, the word word, to explain the second person of the Godhead. And he had a reason for that because he, he believes in the eternal, that, that, that Jesus became the Son in eternity. The Bible doesn't teach that. John is not teaching that. Now the Jehovah's Witness will teach you that. But the Bible does not teach that. In the beginning was the Word. Why did the Holy Spirit choose the word Word to describe Jesus? That's interesting. Basically, the word word can be defined. And I, I try to think of this from time to time. But it's the realization of a worthy idea. Someone has defined the word word. It's the way we communicate. We use words, right? We put words together to make phrases and clauses, sentences. And therefore, we can communicate with God. I don't know that, that man could have come up with this word to describe the second person of Godhead. Because this is a very unique way to reveal who he was as that second person. We worship the triune God. God the Father. God the Spirit. And now God the Son. But here... We see and are reading about in his incarnation the word in eternity. And so in the beginning was the word. He existed. He has always existed. And he will always exist. Now, of course, as the son, the only begotten son. But before his revelation, he was. He was. The voice that spoke to Abraham, or, or rather Moses, through the burning bush was the great I Am. He was. That's how Israel would be able to identify Moses as being their leader. That's what Jesus was, or what uh, Moses was told by the voice from the bush. But if you go all the way back, and we'll have to talk about more, more about this when we get to the book of, of Hebrews. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And with that in mind, let us go further in this verse. The Word was with God. And then notice, the Word was God. We pretty much talked about that. But notice now, all things were made by Him. Him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that little baby in Bethlehem straw was the mighty God of Genesis 1. All things were made by Him. In the beginning was the Word. We see Him involved in the creation of this world, and the Hebrew, Hebrews writer will further identify that, and we can't talk about that now because we're going to use that when we talk about His revelated Word. And we don't want to get those two mixed up. He is the Word, was the Word, as John describes him, 
But it will be, as we notice, that all things will be upheld by His, the Son of God, the Word of His power. And that's great power, as we'll notice. But then, notice concerning the Word that, that we're describing here, that was in the beginning, that was with God, that was God, and by all things, uh, by Him were all things made, also, in Him was life. In Him was life. In John the 6th chapter, interestingly enough, there's a situation where Jesus had been teaching the people. He had been communicating His Word to them, revealing His Word, His instructions. And he told them something that they did not like. And so the Bible says, actually, uh, this, they say this is a hard saying who can hear it. And from that time, many of the disciples began to turn away and leave him, forsake him. And Jesus turns to the twelve. And he asks them, will ye also go away? Is this too hard for you? Remember what Peter said in, in verse 68 of John 6. Peter said unto him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. In him was life. In him was life. He was life. As John describes it, as we go back to chapter 1, even further, I need two bookmarks, actually. We go back to John chapter 1, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, now keep this, this thought in mind. In the beginning was the Word. He was with God. He, he was God. And by him all things were created. But it also said that in him was life in, at this particular point. But also, this life was the light of men. And I put light twice instead of uh, using light here. But it's supposed to be light. He was the light of men. He shined light. Now notice, a little bit further down, we're going to understand that this light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In verse 5. The darkness comprehended it not. We noticed in Luke chapter 4 and verse 17 just a moment ago, as Jesus closed the book, the very next verse is, is going to talk about Jesus. Is this not Jesus? They began to ask. And, and, and on other, another occasion, we can read of how after he taught, they began to ask among themselves, is this not the son of, of Mary and Joseph? Is he not the carpenter? Have we not known him all of his life and, and he's telling us that he's God? That's why they needed the gospel according to John. They didn't understand what Jesus is trying to, to help people and help people understand during the time that he was here. And ultimately they rejected him to the point that they, they actually blamed him with blasphemy and put him on a cross. Why? Because the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. John will also record that he came to his own and his own received it not. 
He would also say that a prophet is not honored without in his own country, saving his own country. They didn't want to believe that he was the Word, but he became flesh. And that helps us to go a little bit further. Verse 14. Talking about the Word, it was made flesh. Dwelt among us. And notice how James describes. He said, He dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How many people miss what John is describing here concerning the manifestation or the revelation of Jesus? And they miss this. In John chapter 14, we go back to the last point. Jesus introduces himself as the way to the Father. He introduces himself as the truth. But he also introduces himself as not only the way and the truth, but also the light. In verses 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Philip, he asked him, he said, Lord, show us the Father and that will suffice of us. If you just show us the Father, let us see the Father. And as I've said many times, you can almost hear the uh, Jesus' voice when he says, Have I not been so long with you, Philip, and you haven't seen the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. And John said that He dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. Philip had missed that glory. When, when Philip had seen Him call Lazarus out of that tomb, he saw God. When he saw Jesus doing the things that He did and teaching the things that He taught, all the miracles that He performed, He was seeing God and yet he hadn't seen it. He hadn't recognized it. And that was the problem with the totality of the people, seemingly, all the way through his public ministry. They wanted to see God, but they, in standing before God, they could not see God. He had been revealed to them. I think about today's world. The same problem exists. People are not willing to see God. They're not willing to see Jesus for who He really is. Understanding the very fact as the Bible reveals to Him as being the Word, becoming flesh, dwelling among people, becoming a person, a human being. Back in, in, in Isaiah, in his prophecy. In Isaiah, the... The ninth chapter, a very familiar verse, I think, is concerning prophecy uh, about Jesus in, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Notice what he prophesies concerning the Word becoming flesh. For unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. Unto us a son is given. That's his deity. That's the Word becoming flesh. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Word became flesh. And that's the way prophecy depicts it. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, we go now to the book of Hebrews. Jesus according to John, has been manifest in the flesh. We go to the book of Hebrews, and there's a few things we understand immediately from chapter 1. The first 14 verses, we understand that Christ is the climax, then, of Revelation. Now, we're talking about the revelation of Christ, because what did He say in verses 1 and 2? God has always spoken. Okay, he spoke in time past and in many times, many ways, at different times and in many ways, he spoke in time past unto the fathers. But he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And while we're thinking about that, go back to Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18, when Jesus claims all authority. 18, 19, 20, he talks about. That's the commission. But it was based upon the fact that he had been given all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. And he commissions those disciples to go teach all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded thee. Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Teaching them all things. Now the Hebrews brethren, I know the overall theme is they're in a dangerous situation. They have not grown, Hebrews 5.11. Thus they have need to be taught what is the first principles, the doctrine of Christ all over again. That's the Old Testament. We're not going to deal with that tonight. Uh, if, uh, uh, some other time maybe. But tonight... Taking into consideration, that was the problem with the Hebrews. They had the Hebrew brethren. They had not grown. And so they were in danger of going back under the old law. And so he begins his argument by saying, Now God has spoken in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but now he speaks through his son. They needed to hear that revelation. They needed to, to and, and he warns them in chapter 2, the reason as to why they needed to hear it. Lest at any time you should let those things slip. The word slip there is the word drift. They were drifting away. They needed to hold fast to that which is true. They needed to draw near some of the phrases that the Hebrews writer will use. Draw near in the full assurance of a true heart. In the full assurance of faith. It's the idea of holding on. Now why would the Hebrews writer, just a side note, why would the Hebrews writer so many times warn them about drifting or holding on, not letting go, if you couldn't fall away? Well, the book of Hebrews would not have needed to be written if you couldn't fall away. Because we know that they had done what they needed to do in order to become Christians. They were in danger of falling away. And so what did they needed to do? They needed to hear the revelation of Christ and listen to that. What's so important about it? Well, if we neglect so great a salvation, how shall we escape? 
He's, he goes on to state in, in Hebrews, the second chapter, that if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every uh, transgression uh, received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect it? Well, that's a rhetorical question. You're not going to. If you don't listen to Jesus, how important was it that Jesus come? It was so important that he was willing to leave heaven and come to earth, become flesh, and go to the cross. That's the manifestation of God's grace. The manifestation of his will to man comes through Christ even now through his word. And that's by that which by we must be saved. That great salvation. The Son and the humanity of Christ is described in chapter 2, verses 5 through 18 in the book of, of, uh, of Hebrews. And what, what we see here, I wish we had time to deal with this, in verses 5 through 8, man's lowliness and dignity. When you think about God being mindful of man, that's what's being described, discussed there. God was mindful of man to the extent that he was willing to send his son to die on the cross and to establish his will, his last will and testament, which is the revelation of Christ, so that we might be saved. And so through that, as he will explain next, we see the necessity of the incarnation, the fact that he was revealed into this world as a man. He became a man. The theme of Hebrews, Jesus is better. And, and I hope the brethren from Commonwealth remember that because we just talked about that last week. Jesus is better. And you can make a list step by step. Jesus, as we've already noticed, is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses because he's the son over his house. He's not a servant in his house. He is the son over his house. He's, he has a better priesthood. He is a better high priest. He has a better sacrifice and on and on and on the argument goes. And we could read more about that in Galatians 3 and verse 21. But as Jesus is better than the prophets, here's the main reason why. And it's revealed to us in the first few verses of the book of Hebrews chapter 1. He is prophet. We notice what the Apostle Peter said about Jesus in Acts, in Acts the third chapter, specifically at verse uh, 32. As the sermon is being preached about Jesus in verse 22, it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves know. That's chapter 2 and verse 22. But then in chapter 3 and verse 22, he says, For the man, uh, and I'm turning one too many pages. He says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whosoever or whatsoever he shall say unto you. 
Whatsoever he shall say, you should hear. He's God's prophet. He's not a prophet. Remember, Jesus called his disciples together and, and he began to ask them who the people was saying that he was. Who did they think he was? Well, some of them said uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah. But one of those phrases that they used was, or one of the prophets. Jesus was not a prophet. He was the prophet. He was that prophet that God promised Moses that would be like unto him. He wouldn't be a prophet just exactly like Moses. Moses was just a man. God, Jesus was the son of man. There's a big difference. Jesus was the word that became flesh. Jesus was the one who spoke the creation into existence. He was the prophet. He is God's mouthpiece today, as the old prophets were in the Old Testament. But not only was he prophet, or is he prophet, he is priest. We see that in Psalm 110 and verse 4, chapter 5 and verse 8, many verses in the verse. All of these verses that are listed here concerning his priesthood are used in the book of Hebrews by the inspired writer to show who he was. We can continue a study beginning in chapter 7 talking about how he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's another study within itself also. But he was prophet. He was priest. He is in the most holy place. He has offered the sacrifice. And what makes him, what sets him apart and makes him, he could not be a priest on earth, right? He was of the wrong tribe. Jesus of the tribe of Judah. In order to be a priest on earth, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. He could not, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 14, be a priest on earth. He is a priest, the priest, the high priest, and interestingly enough, we are the priesthood Christians. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. To offer up spiritual sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God. Paul says he's your reasonable service, Romans 12 and verse 1. But he's also king. You notice in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. But unto the Son, saith he, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The revelation of Jesus and his word. Now, as we stay in the book of Hebrews, I want us to notice, you know, he, he substantiates the fact that he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. What, what is so important about that? Well, we've noticed it in one way, how that, that it's the salvation. And if we neglect it, then, then we're lost. That was the danger for the Hebrew brethren. But I want us to go back to chapter 1. And notice what I have called in teaching this in the Four Seas Bible College as the qualifying characteristics God hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath made heir 
of all things. What qualifies Jesus as the Son of God to be the one through whom God has spoken today? Not just from the perspective or standpoint that He was the Word and became flesh, but notice what all He says about Him. There's seven things. He is heir of all things. Sometimes we in the States talk about uh, jokingly about having a rich uncle. And that just means that uh, we have a rich uncle that hopefully we're going to be his heir. <laughs> we're going to have an inheritance. I don't have I don't have a rich uncle. <laughs> so I don't have a right to that inheritance that some people have, that may have. But think about the fact that Jesus has been made heir of all things. It will even talk about how that, and he talked in talking about how he's better than angels, that he has by inheritance obtained a better name than they. By inheritance. Why? Because he's the son of God. The only son. Now, if you're the only son of a father and you are made an heir of that father, you have all things. He's an heir. An heir of all things. Certainly. Certainly. We understand why he speaks through him today to us in these last days. But not only that, by whom also he made the worlds. Now we've, uh, we've talked about that, referred to it earlier. God said, let there be light. And there was light. We notice that John describes this, that all things were made by him. There was power in his word from the beginning. Power enough to say, let there be light, and there is light. And I often use the illustration. The first person that came in here this evening, did you come in the door and say, okay, let there be light? <laughs> no, you turned the switch on. Now, what had to happen in order for you to just simply turn that switch on and lights come on? Was there someone else somewhere in another place say, okay, somebody's turned on a switch, let there be light? Not at all. That's ridiculous to think about. Look at what man has to do to have light. That's just a small, a small thing to consider concerning God's power. Let there be light, and there was light. Isn't it amazing? I've always found it interesting that when God speaks, Jesus spoke to a raging sea, and there was complete calm. Jesus can speak to a man who, is, who has been born blind and he can see his father and mother for the first time. Jesus can see a man who is lame and say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk, and he does just that. That's power. And yet, power in words. And yet, he can say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And people say, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But there's still power in the Word. If you're baptized for the remission of your sins, you will be saved. 
That's the power of God's Word. This is the Word. We know the Gospel is God's power unto salvation. Romans 1.16 and 1 Peter 1 and verse 25, Peter says this is the Word by which the Gospel is preached to you. The Word of God. That power. But that's nothing in one way. As we consider, continue considering this, He was also the brightness of His glory. And the, that's, that's uh, another qualifying characteristic, and I need to be listing these, I guess. He is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Two more qualifying characteristics. Why has God spoken unto us through His Son today? Because He's heir of all things. He made the worlds. He is the brightness of His glory. He is the express image of His person. Express image. That's another way of saying carbon copy. You go and you put a piece of paper in the copying machine, you mash the button, and what, what are you going to get? The exact copy. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the exact copy. The exact copy. But then also, as we notice, and this is amazing in light of what we've already talked about concerning God's power. We're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. His revelated word and its power. Okay, if it's so much power that we can't even comprehend that when God said, let there be light, there was light. And here we are living today. It was true when the Hebrews writer wrote this. All things, when he was writing, he's saying all things are, they continue of the power of that word. And here we are over 2,000 years in the future, and it's the same. The illustration I use, and I know the folks at Commonwealth has heard this. There's a comedian who was, was doing his, his uh, show one evening, and he got to talking about God's power versus man's power. Actually, he was talking and placing emphasis upon God's good versus man's spectacular or awesome. You know, we, we want to use adjectives when we, 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 we put something together. And today, we live in a world of technology that's amazing. I, I don't understand it. Uh, I, I told Jonathan, I, I don't understand technology. I don't understand you. <laughs> I mean, he has all that in his head. He knows all of these things. It's amazing to me. But with all of that, and then, you know, man puts this together and they call it the greatest thing ever. God creates a tree. He calls it good. He creates man and woman. He calls it very good. The crowning of his creation. Man creates or makes, man cannot create. Man makes a car from the things that God created and it's spectacular. It's amazing. God creates a tree and it's still growing. Man makes a car and it tears up. Refrigerator breaks down. God creates a rabbit. It's still running unless something happens to it. But the point is, the difference between the way God thinks and man thinks is what he was trying to make. And I thought that was a very good illustration. 
all things upheld by the word of his power. But then he will say, by himself he purged our sins. As if those other qualities were not enough as to why he speaks to us in these last days unto, uh, through his son. He purged our sins. We need to listen. So when Jesus says, he that believeth and is baptized, he knows how we need to come in contact with that blood. That's why we have the reveal, the revelation of God. That's why we, that's why God was manifested in the flesh. And that's why in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. He urged our sins. He is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. It was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats do that. And he, the Hebrews writer will state, if there would have been a law that could have made man righteous, the law would not have ceased. So why go back to the old law? We see the sufficiency of God's word in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why he came and why he revealed. Why he revealed. But then ultimately, This is the crowning moment. We might say as to why God has spoken to us in these last days. He sat down at the right hand of God of the majesty. In verse 3. Sat down at the right. What does that denote? What is a throne? Well, it's something upon which a king sits. We notice that the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. He is king. Now, Zechariah 6 and verse 13, when he would be priest, he would be king. When he would be king, he would be priest. We know he's our high priest. Thus he must be our king. And that's what the Hebrews writer is saying. He is now king of kings, Lord of lords, Revelation chapter 1. And so, no wonder John would say, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came to this earth and he was manifested in the flesh, went to the cross, died that death, was buried, but on the third day arose, which made all the difference, <clears throat> victoriously, by the power of God. And so, that ye might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through His name. God sent his son in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, John 1, 17. For God so loved the world. We know that verse, verse 16. The golden text of the Bible. The manifestation of God's grace is the revelation of Jesus. Now, sadly, so many today so many today will not believe the things that John wrote so that they might have life. 
John is the one who actually stated in John 8 and verse 24, Jesus speaking, except you believe that I am he, you shall die on your sins. That word he is added by the translators. He is saying, except you believe that I am the word became flesh that dwelt among us. John said, we beheld his glory. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. You can't be saved through the Old Testament. God never meant it, uh, the Old Testament to be for that reason. It was the schoolmaster that brought us to whom? Christ, who has been revealed and has revealed his will. God speaks to him today, or to us through him today, as we notice in these, in these chapters. And in these verses, as he said, except you believe, you shall die in your sins. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And there's no way that we can talk about uh, and give any kind of, of uh, complete understanding concerning the revelation of Christ in the time that we have this evening. Because this is the revelation of God. Amen. The Old Testament and the New Testament. In these last days, though, these last days, the Christian dispensation under which we are now living, he speaks to us only through Jesus Christ. Nowhere did he say there that he speaks through some kind of function of the Spirit operating upon man's heart or some kind of wee little voice that people claim they hear. He spoke to us through his word. Even Jesus, when telling the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come, he, he told them he will not he will not testify of himself. He will speak of me. Why? Because God speaks to us through his Son, through the Christ, his revelation. And so then he will continue to say, as we know, repent or perish, the 13th through. And then he will also explain, if you confess me, I will confess you before the Father. That's what God has revealed to us today through his Son. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. But also, as we've already mentioned, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you're not saved this evening, you can leave this place because you've heard that the, the revelation of Jesus Christ through the Bible that is revealed to us, God's Word, the New Testament, the revelation of Christ, what's necessary for you to be freed from your sins. Having those sins put into remittance. What would Peter preach when those people asked that question in Acts chapter 2? What shall we do? Just what his Lord told them. He told them, he gave them the revelation of Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, by his authority, Jesus Christ, or the remission of sin. And then in the Revelation, Revelation 2, verse 10, Jesus speaks, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Faithful. The words of Christ. Maybe you need to do those things that, that uh, God through His Son in these last days has communicated to us in order to be saved. You need to do that, we hope you will. If for some reason you have strayed, you become unfaithful. Remember, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life.